on today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Surprise, Velma has officially been given a season two. Also, according to box office projections, Barbie is going to beat Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer on their shared opening weekend. Also, those stories going around about a Legend of Zelda animated movie coming from Illumination. Well, the head of Illumination is sort of denying it at any rate. Also, the new Batman film, Brave and the Bold, coming under James Gunn's new DC universe, has their director, and it's the director of The Flash. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on Planet Earth, The John Campy Show, coming to you from right here in our little studio. I am, of course, your host, John Campy, and today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends, over at Mint Mobile. And we're gathered around here today to talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies, movie news, TV and streaming and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Joining me in studio today, as always, we've got Ray Ora. Yes. Jonathan Voiko's here. Good morning. Sitting over here is Chris Carr. Hey, y'all. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for being here and making this show part of your day. We're awfully glad that you did. Now, we do have a bunch of things to get to, but I'm going to let you know that in the last part of our show, we're going to be taking questions from our YouTube channel members. If you guys are listening to our podcast, we also have a YouTube channel that we put up daily videos on, and we have some beloved YouTube channel members. And we ask them every day to send them some topics and questions, and we'll address those in the second part of the show. And actually, before we get rolling, I'm going to make a little bit of an announcement, uh, something I'm I'm kind of excited about. Uh, us over here at Carson Drive Media, which is the name of our company and our show and YouTube channel and podcast, the John Campus Show podcast, uh, we can now announce that the deal is signed. We have just signed on with a, a new podcasting agency, a new podcasting ad agency that's going to be help coordinating and managing and acquiring all the sponsors that we have here on the show. And that company is AdCast. Uh, we're joined over there by new rock stars, uh, a number of big, huge podcasts. And they're also owned by Libsyn, one of the biggest podcasting services in the world. Now, we also had offers from other great companies like Podcast One had an offer on the table for us, but we are just thrilled that we found a really good fit for us over at AdCast. And we are super thrilled to be part of the family over there. Yeah. All right. With that down, guys, let's start getting into some stuff here, and we're going to start with this. You know, Velma came out. That's the sort of Scooby-Doo prequel. Ish. A, a very adult-oriented Scooby-Doo prequel. What I basically call it is the show that really, really wanted to be Harley Quinn. Like, when you, when you watch any of Velma, it really wanted <laughs> to be Harley Quinn, only it doesn't do it as well as Harley Quinn. Now, I heard a lot of talk about Velma when it first came out. A lot of it was just from, you know, your standard trolls that hate anything that has women or people of color represented in it. But also a lot of stuff that was just straight up creative criticism, saying the show was not funny, it didn't flow well, you don't get to like the characters. Like, Harley Quinn found a way to get us to love these characters as they're doing it and some criticism that the sh that show wasn't able to do it. A lot of straight up, legit, creative criticism about the show as well. And I sat down to watch two episodes of it. And my conclusion was, okay, this is just a show that's desperately trying to be Harley Quinn, only it doesn't do it as well. But I was also surprised that I didn't straight up hate it. I didn't like it. I wouldn't recommend it. But I didn't hate it. Like, I thought it was like, okay, this is just another TV show that doesn't quite work for me. Had a few funny bits that made me giggle and laugh a little bit, especially the way they kind of try to deconstruct the modern show-telling tropes and stuff like that. I, I admired what they were going for. I thought they swung for the fences. They struck out, but I thought they swung from the fences. So not a show for me, but not a total, you know, landfill fodder either, in, in my opinion. Well, whatever... I thought about it and whatever the trolls wanted to say about with their organized review bombing campaigns and whatever all those other people who just had some straight up legit creative criticisms of the show may have to say, it was a ratings hit for the network. It got a lot of people watching it. And the thing is, it wasn't just, let's go check out how bad this show is. It consistently had high ratings for a show of its nature, at any rate. 
And so while it comes as a little bit of a surprise, I guess it shouldn't be a massive surprise that they have officially renewed it for season two. And I'll tell you what, I bet they're praying over there for the same amount of controversy they had with season one. I think they are praying to get more people writing about how <laughs> terrible this is I, because the formula seemed to work for them, I guess. I personally will not be tuning in. I got yeah. enough of a sample size. I know it's not for me. But, hey, if you're one of the people out there that you watch it and it did strike you the right way, I, I wish it did for me, but it didn't. But if it did strike you the right way and you enjoyed it and you're looking for a season two, this is a big day for you, Chris. You know, we, we we have chuckled a bit about Velma behind yeah. the scenes here a bit. Watched some episodes here in the studio. Yep. You did not fall in love. I didn't. Um, what do you are you surprised by this news? Does it make sense? I don't know. What are you thinking about this? HBO viewing Velma as a win is like AMC viewing the meme stock as a win. <laughs> like that's how I feel about this, you know? It it struck me as such a show that did not want to be an animated series. Really? It, yeah. It just the way they talked about the audience, the way that they talked about their own medium seemed like they didn't even want to be there. It was very, very strange to me. And while some of the jokes every now and then would get a little chuckle out of me, there was nothing that made me go, gosh, this is a great show that I really need to keep watching. Wow, it's really deconstructing things. And I was really excited about it. I was very hopeful for it. I love this cast. I was really excited about it. But, you know, two episodes in, I think we started a third one. And it was just, <laughs> no. No, it's <laughs> not do for it me. Anymore. But hey, maybe if I hear some good things, I'll jump into season two and see if that got better. And maybe these creators and this team learned some things along the way so that they can strengthen the show. Maybe it's season one growing pains. I don't know, but it didn't initially grab me. I, I got to tell you, I'm this story almost almost has tempted me to sit down and binge watch the first season. Like I got about two, two one and a half, two episodes that I watched, but finding out that so many people just continue to watch. I'm thinking, I don't know. Maybe I'll order a pizza, a Papa John's thin crust pepperoni sausage pizza, have a couple of bottles of Diet Pepsi there, kick back with the dogs on the couch with me and just plow so through. Like, the right there. Everything was perfect, right? so I'm not really sure why you're going to watch Velma. Yeah. You had it perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like such a good night and yeah. then Velma. Everything, that all sounded good. And you just stopped after dogs with me on the couch. Should have just left it yeah. there. I don't know. I'm kind of half tempted. I got to get through <laughs> Superman and Lois, though, first. Anyway, uh, I'm just curious if any of you guys are have watched Velma. Did any of you guys like that? I've heard from some people write into me that say they really enjoyed it. And that suggested to me if I gave it more of a shot, I would kind of get what they were going for. I don't know. Maybe I will. I just know my first reaction wasn't that great. But, hey, if it's got that many people watching it, you make a season two. All right. With that down, let's move on to uh, another little bit of sort of surprising sounding stuff. So on July 21st, the weekend of July 21st, there is two big movies going head to head. Barbie with Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and the newest Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer. Now, if you had asked me six months ago, which one of those movies would win the opening weekend? I would easily say Oppenheimer, the new Christopher Nolan film. And if you had asked me which would be the better movie, I also would have easily said that it would be Oppenheimer. And I honestly, listen, I love Ryan Gosling, good Canadian kid. Greta Gerwig is an Oscar-level filmmaker and storyteller, multiple-time nominated. I love Margot Robbie, but I mean, there's nothing about Barbie that appeals to me. Well, then we went to CinemaCon, and they showed us this big preview for Barbie. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm excited to watch this movie now. And hearing Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig kind of breaking down about how this is going to be a lot deeper of a movie than I thought this was going to be. And hearing about how there are people weeping and crying watching the movie and all this kind of stuff. And, you, and you're watching the preview stuff. And there's a lot of existential kind of themes in the film as well. So not only did it look funny, it looked like it could have a real degree of depth to it as well. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, maybe it could be as good as Oppenheimer. Now Oppenheimer to me already looks like a best picture contender. And surprising report came out today in Deadline and the Hollywood Reporter that said this, <coughs> that right now 
Barbie is projected to beat Oppenheimer on the opening weekend. Like, not necessarily that Oppenheimer won't make more money in the long term, but opening weekend, they're projecting that more people are going to go out and say, two tickets for Barbie, please, as opposed to the new Christopher Nolan film. Now, there are a couple of things to keep in mind with this as well. The Oppenheimer movie is a three-hour movie. So that means it'll have a few less screenings per day than, say, a Barbie will. Although I'm not quite sure what the runtime on Barbie is either. Also, Oppenheimer is an R-rated adult film. Not the fun kind of R-rated adult film, but I mean, it's R-rated and targeted not towards families. It's targeted towards adults. So that's going against it as well. But I I still, like to me, Chris, it still kind of caught me by surprise to see that Barbie... Right now, they're projecting. Are you surprised? Do you think that's ultimately going to be what happens? What do you think is going to have the better legs? I mean, we haven't seen either one of the films yet, only previews of it. But what do you think about this story? Well, Barbie's going to have the better legs, obviously. Obviously. I know we're now in an audio forum, but look at what I'm wearing. I am Team Barbie. I am clad (laughs) in pink and I am excited about it. I also, I read American Prometheus. I think Oppenheimer is going to be a beautiful, difficult very, very thought-provoking film. And I think people are going to leave that theater having really interesting conversations about what technology is, what we can do with science, what we do in times of war. I think it's going to be a really great catalyst for a lot of very important, hard-to-have conversations. I think Barbie is going to be fun and also have a different kind of hard look at things Mm -hmm. of just some of those existential things, right? One of the lines in the trailer is, humans only have one ending. Right? right, and Barbie ha- is is the personification of possibility. Barbie can do anything, right? And everyone loves that or doesn't. And I love that the movie is talking about both of those kinds of things, the polarization of Barbie. So I think we're going to have this kind of fun, albeit a little more deeper than we expected time with Barbie. And then Oppenheimer is going to be a critic's darling. It is going to get award season buzz. It is going to be a very talked about film. But I think Barbie's the one that people are going to be rushing to theaters to, especially as a summer movie. I'm curious because, Ray, I I think it's safe to say that prior to CinemaCon, you were not, oh, my God, I can't wait to go watch Barbie. But you saw the the preview stuff. I, I don't know. Did it win you over? Were you, are you interested in this movie? I don't know if you remember when the first trailer for Barbie dropped. I was, I think I was the only one laughing when we were watching it. I you know what? That's right. It. You were. Um, it didn't mean I was, I wanted to see it before Oppenheimer, but I, I you know, as this, um, this movie unfolds, there seems to be something, especially when I saw um, the girl from SNL, she was like my favorite. Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. And I was like, wait a second, <coughs> maybe. And now that you tell me that Oppenheimer is three hours long. Oof. Yeah, that, that's like backtrack? Ray or a kryptonite right there. I'm going to have to backtrack and say, I would rather watch Barbie right now. I don't know. Uh, I think, you're going to see Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oof, I mean, come on. Um, I'm going to see Barbie. Yeah, yeah I'm going to see Barbie. But uh, you know what? I'm not sure which one I'm going to see first now. Before, I was for sure Oppenheimer. Yeah. But as uh, it gets closer, I don't know. We'll it, see which one's available at the right time that I like. Interesting you know what I mean? double feature. That's yeah. what I want to do. That's a long day at the movies. But, but... start with Oppenheimer and yeah. then Palette. Yeah, yeah. That Barbie. would be mm-hmm. that would be the correct. See, I see I don't know. See, that would be my first reaction would be a start with Oppenheimer. But I'm thinking you might just be time-wise and emotionally exhausted after Oppenheimer may not want to wa- roll into another movie after that. Or, I don't or, know. That's or, true. For three hours, that's tough. Yeah. Or Barbie might take something out of you you never thought it would. That's true. Because that's it looks true. like there's a deep meaning behind this film, like, and it comes all at the end. Like, Barbie, can we quote that on the poster? <laughs> Barbie might take something out of you. What was it? We'll, re- we'll review the tapes yeah. and then make a poster. <laughs> we might take something out of you that we're expecting. I like it. It was, pro- it was profound. It was going to come good. at the oh, end. Am I working yep. with dumpster brains here? Yes. Dumpster brains. <laughs> Just stop talking. Go watch your Bobby. That's another t-shirt you got to make. <laughs> what am I working with here? Dumpster, dumpster brains? brains? I buy that shirt. Uh, All right, guys, listen. We've got a couple more topics that we need to discuss. Here. We're going to talk about the upcoming, uh, <laughs> if there is an upcoming Zelda movie. Uh, Batman's got a new director and all that. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second here and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Our friend, you should check him out. They are fabulous at Masterclass. 
We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself, you know, the guy who made three of the four biggest films of all time. Improve your writing by taking screenwriting from one of the greatest who's ever done it, Aaron Sorkin. Or maybe learn how to make great comedic content by taking comedy by the one and the only Judd Apatow. And many of you guys know I'm a big poker guy, and I recently got a chance to sit down and watch Daniel Negreanu, one of the greatest poker players in the world, teach poker. It was absolutely fantastic. But guys, whatever you're interested in, there is a class for you with over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. And you can explore lessons in any order you'd like across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, computer, and on the go with audio mode. Individual lessons range from about 10 to 15 minutes in length that fit easily into your everyday life. Guys, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campia show listener you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash Campia now. That's masterclass.com slash Campia for 15% off Masterclass. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia show podcast. Alright guys that down let's go on to this. Super Mario Brothers movie, and we made a video about this a little bit earlier today, but the Super Mario Brothers movie has like shattered all expectations. I mean, I was saying for about six months, hey guys, this Mario Brothers movie could end up being the biggest film of the year. It's going to be huge. It's going to be big. And it has right now made $1.319 billion at the box office. Let's see if we can bring that uh, graphic up. Jonathan, but $1.39 or $1.319 billion at the box office. That makes it, if you're keeping score, I believe the third biggest animated film in the history of Hollywood, only behind one of the Frozen movies and the recent Lion King remake. It's incredible, the success of this thing. So obviously, when you make a movie that makes that much money, there's going to be conversations. Number one, about a sequel. So clearly there's going to be a Mario Brothers 2. But the other question, and like I said, we discussed this earlier, but was what else do you do if you're Nintendo? Now, the reality is there's nothing that Nintendo has that comes remotely close to the sheer popularity, the multi-generational appeal, the nostalgia factor, all that kind of stuff that Mario has. But if there were a definitive second place IP in Nintendo's vaulted kind of... uh, pantheon here of all the IP that they have, you could make a good argument that that's Zelda. And so a lot of talk with the fact that Zelda, you know, Breath of the Wild, some uh, everybody considers maybe the best Nintendo Switch game out there, maybe the best Nintendo game ever, one of the greatest video games ever. And with the release of Breath or uh, Tears of the Kingdom that just came out, a lot of people started to guess, myself included, that maybe next up for Nintendo and Illumination or a live-action thing would be a Legend of Zelda. As a matter of fact, news stories like this one started going around. Legend of Zelda movie reportedly greenlit after Super Mario Brothers movie success. All that kind of stuff. Now, a lot of people saying it should be Zelda. They want an animated Zelda. Some people saying it should be animated, but not with Illumination Studios. There are people like me who've been saying, yeah, do a Zelda movie, but this movie needs to be live-action, not animated. Like, Mario, perfect for animation. Got to do Mario animated. But Zelda should be live action, all that kind of stuff. But reports start coming out that Illumination was going to be doing an animated Zelda movie. Well, the head of Illumination, who was at CinemaCon, by the way, came out on stage, and I always mispronounce his name, but it's Mela Dandry is his last name. He, all the outlets are saying that the head of Illumination has denied that they're making a Zelda movie. And... Maybe he's kind of implied it, but I want to go over his actual quote here, all right? Because this is what comes, by the way, this was written in the rap, but Melandandri said, I don't know where that came from, Legend of Zelda, that Legend of Zelda report. I mean, I can understand how people would surmise all sorts of things because obviously we've had a great experience working together. My relationship with Nintendo now includes being on their board of directors. So I understand how people can surmise these things, but in terms of the specifics, That was just something that we've been hearing lots of reports. This is just about what's next between Nintendo and Illumination. Okay, there's two things I want to point out. 
One is that, and maybe we're just playing semantics. I didn't read anything in there that was a straight up denial that they're making a Zelda animated movie. He just said, oh, I don't know where that came from. I could see why people would think that. Right now, we're just focused on what's next between Illumination and Nintendo. Okay, okay. Maybe he was implying that there's not going to be a, a Zelda animated movie that illuminate. Maybe that was the implication, but I'm, I've, I've read it over and over and over. There is no denial in this statement. This is a very carefully, politically well-crafted statement because I don't know if there is. And again, I'm fully conceding here that that might have been the point of the message to say we're, we're this is a denial. I'm just not seeing the denial. The second thing that I found very interesting about this was that there have been a lot of people online saying, hey, we think they should do an animated movie of Zelda, but we don't think they should do it with Illumination. Illumination was great for Mario Brothers, but we think another Nintendo should partner up with another animation studio to do it. Yeah, fat chance that's going to happen. Because the head of Illumination just let the world know that he's on the board of directors of Nintendo. If you think that an animated Zelda movie would get made without Illumination, you're crazy. Because clearly, if there's going to be an animated one, it's going to be with Illumination. I still contend, though, that it should be live action. I still really think a, a Zelda movie, I think you can really separate it from all the other stuff out there. You can really separate it from the Mario Brothers stuff as well. I think this has such great potential to be something done on an epic scale in a live action environment. But that's just me. So, Chris, you know, you weren't here when we were talking about it earlier. So, I'm, you read this comment. Did you interpret it as a denial? And whether or not you did... What do you think the future of Nintendo, do you think they're going to do a Zelda movie? If so, do you think it'll be animated? If so, do you think it'll be with Illumination? If not live, I mean, no. How do you take in this so whole many. big mess? If not now, when? If not, <laughs> if you know, not us, it's, who? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things of they are obviously going to do a Zelda movie at some point. But, you know, you're a poker player. You don't want to show your hand too early. That's true. And I think that's what's going on here because so much of the statement is, I mean, I guess I can see how some people came to this conclusion. What with me being on the board? And we just have opened up another Super Nintendo park. And, you know, I guess I can see how people came to this conclusion. It's such a meandering, oh, well, we're not doing it now kind of response that it's, it's really just them trying to figure out what's going to happen with this movie is how right. I feel about it. Because I just don't want it to be animated and I would like it to be Studio Ghibli. I would really love that. I know what's not going to happen. I know that they're going to give it to Illumination because that makes the most sense with I, all I, these people. I love Studio Ghibli, but mm -hmm. I don't think they're a good fit for something like a Zelda. Oh, I think it'd be magical. Some uh, Miyazaki flair in here. Oh, it'd be uh, beautiful. Look, I agree with you on the live action thing, but it's now it's kind of like I'd, I I would prefer um, the animation just because after seeing the Tears of Tears of the Kingdom, the some gameplay from that, I was like, that would look really cool if they did that style. Whatever the case may be, I played only a little bit of Zelda. I want I want the movie, the people behind the movie to, uh, you know, make me love this character, because the best thing with like any movies, music, whatever, is for some somebody to present you with something you're not familiar with. And you love it so much that you go back and try to learn, listen to the old albums, uh, watch, you know, read books about this character. That's that's one of the things that I like uh, that movies or music could do to me is that, uh, you know, give me that sort of oh, I want to learn more about whatever I just watched or this character that I just, you know, was on the screen. I don't you know. You know, we've got, we've got Legend of Zelda. Uh, we got uh, Breath, Breath of the of Wild, Wild in, in the uh, game room over there. Oh, no, yeah, we were you watching. You should actually pick it up and try playing it. But see, here's the problem. I'm never, I'm, I don't have the patience for the games like that. I'm just like a five-minute. That's oh, why you geez. play NBA and yeah, why yeah, you because play. What's, there's the damn, a, what's the soccer game with cars? Oh, yeah, Rocket League. Because Rocket there's League, a time yeah. limit and you just end. <laughs> that's why that Starfield. So open world yeah. stuff? That's, that's also my philosophy with relationships. Okay. But not and, Starfield for him. <laughs> yeah, so no Starfield. I'll watch Jonathan play Starfield, but I won't play that game. I love open world stuff. Breath of the Wild is just cooking mama with horses. That's how I play it. Where I'm like, I'm going to cook some peppers and ride a horse. And that's all I'm going to do today. I'm not going to do any of the main quests. <laughs> and me and you disagree on whether he should talk or not, too. 
Oh, he's 100% should talk. Even though I was 100% with you on li the live action before, like, we were completely opposite on whether he should talk or not. It's crazy. I can't wait to see what they actually put up. Just give him a radio like Bumblebee. Oh, no. <laughs> and only plays like pots and pans. Yeah. Like the voice whatever. of Casey Kasem comes out of Zelda. <laughs> well, excuse me, princess. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next little thing here. And this was the big story. This is the one that yesterday my inbox just started blowing up as, as people were texting me and emailing me, stuff like this. Okay, so we've got the Flash movie is is out there right now. And I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, Chris went to go see it yesterday. <laughs> oh, wow. Did not share our optimism. Oh, our, so our, our, our optimistic appraisal of the situation as it we did. It looks unfinished. It looks unfinished. And that's but it's even... a great movie. I don't care if it looks a little bit unfinished. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't, don't think, think it's, it's a great movie. movie. I yeah. like Act 2 a lot. I think it's great in Act 2. And I think some of the humor works really, really well. But man, it just, it didn't fire on all cylinders for me. Ezra Miller, great job working with Ezra Miller. Good job. That chemistry's great. I see. And I thought the movie was fantastic, but the movie is now out and in theaters. And Ray, can you look up what is the audience score on that right now? Because oh, I know boy, it had last be. I checked, it had like a 68 critic score. Right. The audience score was high, but there was only like 200 audience. It's things. 68. So what's the audience score at? It's at 87 percent. And okay. how many? Over 1000 plus. OK, so now it's a little bit over a thousand. So, I mean, there you have it. Now, <laughs> I thought he did a great job. And when you look at the movies that Andy Muschietti has done. We're looking at things like Mama that he did with Jessica Chastain. I really like that film. I know not everybody loved it or remember, but I thought that movie was a lot of fun. Was that a horror too? Yeah. Or like a thrill? Okay. Yep. And then he did It and he did Surprise the World, Shocked the World when they did It and it was fantastic. Now, then they did It Chapter 2. I didn't love It Chapter 2. I thought it was okay. But I did not love that one. That, I think, is the weakest one on this list. And then, of course, right now he's got Flash, the 2023 version of Flash out there, which I love. And anyway, you know, James Gunn has been out there just heaping praise on this Flash movie. Like, not talking about before Shazam 2 came out, not talking about the new Aquaman movie coming out, not talking about Blue Beetle, but just talking all the time about this favorite child of his, this Flash movie. So it should not be a big surprise that James Gunn and Peter Safran have picked Andy Muschietti to be the director of the upcoming new Batman film, The Bold and the Brave, uh, in the new DC universe that is kicking off in 2025 with Superman Legacy. And, and look, I, we did a video about this on the uh, channel earlier, and one of the things I said was, I already hear a lot of people when they made the announcement about Brave and the Bold about, oh, why are they doing another Batman and even a friend of mine, I was on the phone this morning with a friend of mine saying, I just don't understand why they're doing another Batman while they've got the Matt Reeves Batman movies going. And my response to that was, it's simply not possible to truly establish a new DC universe without Batman being there right at the foundation of it. You, you, you just, you can't. You can't have a DC universe without Batman being one of the core pillar you know, foundational characters of that. You're leading it off with Superman. That's one of them. But you got to have Batman in there as well. And I know a lot of people got excited when they mentioned that Damian Wayne was going to be the Robin in it. They're going to, you know, explore that aspect of it. But with the announcement that Andy Muschietti is going to be it, again, it shouldn't surprise us at all with the way James Gunn clearly loved the Flash movie. So the announcement's there. And, you know, this is one of the other things that I think this news tells us. There ain't going to be another Flash movie. No. I think the very fact that, and you know what? The funny thing was when, and I said this, I said this when Andy Muschietti was going around talking about how, oh, if I do a Flash sequel, I'm definitely going to have Ezra still as my Flash. And we said, I think he maybe knows there's not going to be a Flash sequel. That's why he's free to say that. And now we find out, oh, guess what? He's going to be booked up at least until 2025, 2026 with a new Batman yeah. movie. <laughs> um, so there's that as well. Anyway, Chris, you heard the news. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very curious to know what you think about this news because you didn't like Flash. And so that, that also is the only Andy Muschietti film I've seen because I don't like horror movies. Right, right, right. Oh, so you never saw <gasps> yeah, the It films? No. The Tim Curry one messed me up. Yeah, you know, maybe the DCU isn't for you. It might, you know, maybe, maybe. The next and decade, I, just forget. 
I'm I'm interested though in this because I've heard wonderful things about the It franchise. Uh, those two films are among my best friend and my husband's favorite films. They love them so much. Anytime they're together, that's what they watch. I'm like, I'm gonna go leave, and you guys watch this movie. So I know that other people really enjoy his work. I was not crazy about what I saw in The Flash, um, especially afterwards of the the VFX being a choice of being really stylized <laughs> like that. That's what he's been saying. Right. Okay, that can be a choice. It's one that I don't agree with because it looks like Xbox 360 cutscenes from 2000s. Oh. Um, and it's not my jam. Um, seeing one person play the same person, I saw better in the social network. I saw better in the parent trap. Like, as far as the VFX there went, too. So those kinds of things do bum me out a little bit here. I am very interested in The Brave and the Bold, though, because historically, that's always been a team-up thing. Even before it was Batman, it was always how you would have these crossover events in comics. Then it really became Batman's thing, and then it became the all-new Batman and the Brave Bold series. And, of course, there's a cartoon of this as well, mm -hmm. where it's always Batman teaming up with somebody else. So it does lead me to believe that this isn't a Batman film in the truest sense. It's not going to be a Batman standalone unless the team up aspect is just him working out with the, the Bat kids like Damien and other folks. But typically it hasn't been that. So I think it's a smart move to do something that kind of does usher in some other DCU superheroes and see how they all play in the sandbox together. And, you know, the studio obviously really, really likes Andy. They really enjoy working with him. They seem to have a great relationship with him. So if this is who they want to move forward with, I trust him. Just so far, I need to know more about his work to make a better call. And that's on me. Right. See, and, and I like the fact somebody wrote in, one of our viewers wrote in the other day and said, you know, or, or last night and said, what really makes this pick great is that he can implement darker themes, you know, obviously with Mama, with It and stuff like that. He can do that. And he did a little bit of that in The Flash as well. But also, I mean, being with It, he's got good experience as a director working with younger kids. Uh, and bringing something really great out of them. And that's one of the things that it did really, really well. That kid cast in it was just fantastic. They did a fabulous, fabulous job with that. Um, I got to tell you, though, as somebody who did really like The Flash a lot, like I, th I think it's just fantastic. I actually think it's now, to me, I think Flash is the second best DCEU movie, uh, only behind Man of Steel uh, for me. Like I, I, I think I even put it ahead of James Gunn's Suicide Squad. And I love James Gunn's Suicide Squad. But, I mean, all film is subjective. The critic scores were not as high as I was anticipating them yeah. being. Um, I really did think you were going to like it. It was I nice really to see did. other people in my theater enjoying it. <laughs> it was great. One guy dressed up as the Flash. He had amazing gold shoes. It was so cool. And he golden had a blast. It, the golden boots. So, so the audience so response in your theater Some was, of them were really into well, it. Okay. Other people started to leave like when the credits were rolling, we're already like, I'm done and leaving oh, um, okay. as opposed to waiting for the cre post credit and everything. Right. Um, so it was kind of mixed in my audience, but yeah, if people enjoyed this movie, I love that for them. This just, you know, me putting all the other kind of baggage aside and trying to watch it for what it was. Th the VFX was really distracting for me. So that was a big part of it. Um, and then the story, I, I wish, I wish they just got to lean into the humor more. I wish there wasn't yeah. so much pressure on this movie to be this kind of tent pole, big thing. I wish it got to be more about this guy learning about himself and his family and those personal choices. Cause some of the other things that got brought into How it, did just kind the of humor work for you in the film. Did you I thought, it? I thought the humor was great. I love the whole back to the future bit. Oh, yeah, That's that when was I was great. like, this yeah. is picking up for me. I am invested. I like this. This is great. Whereas, you know, baby shower didn't really work for me. <laughs> that to me is one of the greatest scenes in the history of comic book oh, movies. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about the art. Yeah. It is so it art yeah, hits us all in different wrong. ways. That's the beautiful thing about being, <laughs> well, she's being part wrong. of the she's part of the 13 percent of the audience. That, that doesn't yeah. like it. Yeah. So, I'm leaning and, and hey, that's going to be true of every movie. It just all hits. Yeah, it's one really of us has to be wrong. <laughs> it's always good to hear. It's a nice change that it's me. Was it full? Oh, <laughs> wow. That was pretty. Okay. I got it. And here's now I like thing. you a lot, a lot, a lot more. Okay. Here's the other thing though. This is the, I think part of the reason why the Andy selection to, to direct this mm -hmm. is because I am, when you look back at some of the older stuff and behind the scenes, things that have been done, James Gunn, there's there's a little bit of a brotherhood of the directors of MCU. 
Like I know when I would be at these Marvel Cinematic movie premieres, like there, at some point you'd always see like a gaggle of six or seven of the directors of Marvel films all hanging out and talking. And we've seen some some roundtables they've done and things like that. I love that. that they're like geese in their gaggles. A yes. gaggle of directors. I really, there was a part of me that really was not going to be surprised at all if when they announced the, dire- the you know directors of upcoming movies, particularly the Batman one, I was totally prepared that we were going to hear an MCU director's name. I really did. And considering how tight and close, like James Gunn said, the very first person he called when he signed the deal was Kevin Feige. Like, so they have a very close, tight relationship. Um, and I wouldn't have been surprised to hear about, you know, if there have been directors who worked on Marvel films that aren't currently working on any Marvel projects, bringing them over. I, I still won't be surprised if we do see that moving forward. But I wonder if, like, Michael Rocker is going to end up being Batman or something like that. <laughs> hey, boy! Good talking that. to Damien. Tyke is going to be involved in some way. We already saw him briefly in Suicide Squad. <gasps> That's true. I totally forgot about so that. So I feel like he's going to keep playing in the sandbox, too. Oh, yeah. Tyke is going to direct a DC film. Yeah. At some point. It's going to be him. weird. Wait, wait, who was he in the Suicide Squad? Ratcatcher, Ratcatcher. 1. <gasps> he was Ratcatcher 2's father. Yeah. That was, oh, God, that... That was such an emotional part of that movie. It was, there was a split second where it was, ah, it's Taika, and then I abandoned it's everything. Like, oh it was my so God, this is so heavy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're right. You're 100% right. Taika is definitely going to direct a DC film. I'm right here. about one thing today, guys. Woof. All right, guys. With that all down, we're now going to move over and take questions from our channel members. But before we get to that, we're going to take just another quick moment here and thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode of the John Kaby Show podcast. Our friends at ExpressVPN and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, it is 2023 and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could become exposed. Now that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at ExpressVPN and Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Remember, guys, when you check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down to the description, you'll see links and promo codes to all of today's sponsors. And thank you again to Masterclass, ExpressVPN, and Mint Mobile for sponsoring the show. 
All right, guys. With that down, let's go on over and start taking questions from our channel members. Chris, what do we got up in here? We're kicking things off with Dr. Stinky. Hey, John and group. I saw The Flash last night, and I'm kind of mixed. On one hand, every moment was just fun. But on the other hand, it was an ADHD mess. <laughs> I had fun and loved Ezra's performance. I give it six or seven out of ten. Really good for DC. LOL. Bring up a, a lot of nasty filthy. Well, yeah, yeah, that one falls more in line with with. Yeah, Chris. I'm more of a six seven on this. Yeah, I and and whereas I'm like I I, I don't give numerical scores, but if I did, it would be in the eight to nine range mm -hmm. for me. Like I thought the humor worked. I thought the well, I really thought the humor worked. I really liked the story. I love the way they implemented Michael Keaton's Batman in there. Michael Keaton's explanation <laughs> of the ramifications of time travel, I thought was one of the best I've seen in any that movie. That was really, really well done. Yeah, the the spaghetti analogy. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought this is one of the most creative time travel explanations ever. I like, like the spaghetti oh, bowl. Oh, I thought that was really, spaghetti really Spaghetti bowl over chrono bowl. <laughs> All right, what's next? From Alan S. Happy Friday, Campia crew. John and Chris, did they show the short of Carl's date before Elemental? If so, what did you both think of the short? I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Oh, they Loved did it. Mine. It's so cute. Loved it. Oh. Um, this is, I, I, I totally forgot about the Pixar tradition of short films where, cause the last one they did was bow, mm -hmm. which is one of the most beautiful short animated films I've ever seen. Bow was just perfection. Yeah. It was beautiful. So they're doing the Carl one. Now, I never watched, I understand there's a Doug animated series. I never watched it. So I haven't revisited Carl or Doug or any of the rest of the up crowd since the, the original up movie. It was wonderful. It was so charming. Oh, and, and by the way, I've got my out of the theater, uh, review of, uh, elemental up. Wonderful movie, not a top three best Pixar of all time, but a truly wonderful movie. And I'll say this, the best romantic comedy animated film of all time. It's really lovely. This yeah. is a great date movie. Yeah, it's a it is a wonderful date. It's a really, movie. really good date movie. My it's wife so Anne was like in tears, crying several times in the movie, yeah. but it's funny and charming. It is a wonderful immigration story. It's a and it made me, it really made me feel and think a lot about my grandfather passed away recently, the the one who came over on the boat and brought his family with him. It made me feel think a lot about my grandfather and why he left Italy and and my dad and why he left Italy and and it just. It, just a very emotionally resonant move, uh, movie that was also warm and charming and fun and just just a lovely movie. Make sure you check it out. Mm -hmm. Really needed to after the kind of disappointment of Lightyear. Just a really, really needed big win for them, I think. Yeah. All right. What's next? From Stefan Delant Wouters. How do you feel about Guillermo del Toro's comments that he's mainly going to focus on animated movies in the future? Even though I was a huge fan of his Pinocchio and I love his animation, his live action movies are so unique, it's going to feel like a miss. I think storytellers, look, anybody in their job, whatever your job is, likes to mix things up now and again, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think everybody can relate with that. And Guillermo del Toro, who is himself an artist, right? I love looking at, like, when he came into our studio once, he brought in his sketchbook and, like, it showed us, like, how he would sketch a lot of different things out and how we do things. And, like, you could totally see how he loves this medium. And you have a certain control as a storyteller. I've heard directors who've worked in animation say this before. There is a level and a certain thing of control you have in crafting your stories in animation that you quite often don't have in live action. And I can completely see the appeal. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you, I am one of the few people that wasn't completely in, you know, love with his Pinocchio movie. I didn't think his Pinocchio movie should have won Best Animated Picture of the Year, to be honest with you. I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but whatever. But Guillermo is a remarkable filmmaker. I love his live action films, but I think it's great for him to say, hey, I'm going to take the next little chunk of time and kind of devote myself to telling stories in this medium. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of stories we get from him there. All right, what's next? From Disney Freak 309, I must say, Apple TV is fantastic. Shrinking has been my favorite show of the year, and yeah. I just started watching the new show Platonic with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. Have you checked it out yet? I've been enjoying it. Yes. You've been watching Platonic? Yes. I have not heard great things about it, so I didn't bother it watching it. It takes a while to get there. Because oh. the first 
maybe three episodes. I, Logan and I were watching it. it. Was this is I mean this is fine. This is okay. And <laughs> and then it gets to a point though because we were just binging shows. Yeah. You know, oh oh no, this is hilarious. This is so so great. We've also gotten to a point though in it where Logan just turns and watches me because he's like, that's you and that's Petey, <laughs> our, our best friend who got us married. So it's like watching my relationship with one of my best buddies. So that's probably why I really enjoy it. It remind what you just said. That reminds me, Anne and I went to go see Sign felt live oh, yeah. at Caesars last weekend. And one of his jokes were, I just, hey, I don't care what your favorite show is. Why is everybody always going around? Hey, are you watching this show? Are you watching this show? And like, you just hear it incessantly. And then he goes this. And then you finally say, okay, fine. I'll check out your show. And then the next thing he says, okay, now the first four seasons are pretty weak, <laughs> but you just get through those. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I love Seth Rogen. Um, cause him and Rose Byrne did that one movie about what was the movie? Well, they were the couple in uh, neighbors, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They were. Oh, in Zac Efron. Was, yeah. yeah Rose oh, Byrne I forgot was about Rebecca, her right? being in that. Oh my gosh. So I really like them together. I like both of them individually very much and I love their chemistry together, but I was thinking about checking it out. And then I had a number of people tell me, eh, it's not so good. So I've, I've never checked it out myself. I'm glad you said you liked it. I'm having fun with it. The divorce right. party episode in particular. Really good. What's next? From Amin. John, if you don't already have a PS Plus Premium, I would suggest you maybe get it. It includes game trials, and for someone like yourself, who tends to give up on games after buying them and playing them for a bit, maybe having the option to play a trial could benefit you and save you some money. Just a suggestion. I have it. <laughs> I, I have it. Um, but, so, like, as somebody who's played Diablo, like, the most recent game I got on my, on my PS5 was Diablo, and I'm like, I am fucking committed to trying to not be so damn useless on a PS5. And I've played a lot of Diablo. It's always been on PC, but I'm like, no, no, no. Since I already know this game, yep. I, this is the game for me. This is the one I'm going to be able to get comfortable with a freaking controller in my hand mm. instead of a mouse and keyboard. This is going to be the one. Played it for five minutes. Done. You got to <laughs> Papa John's. You got your dogs with you. You ordered that thin crust, pepperoni sausage. And that then, pepperoni sausage thin crust is pretty good. Don't yeah, you? Yeah, no, no, no. I pepperoni want pizza so badly Papa now. John's, you guys got to stop. Get, <laughs> if you get thin crust, it's the mushroom and bacon. Just regular breakfast I don't like bacon. mushroom on, on uh, pizza. That one's fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked. You don't want a vegetable near yeah, your pizza? I don't like veg vegetation anywhere near my pizzas. Thank you very much. Or my mouth. <laughs> I am strictly a Thank carnivore. Thank you, Greens. Yeah. Thank you so much. That, yeah, that's a thank you. Athletic Greens for keeping me alive and multivitamins. <laughs> multivitamins and my Athletic Greens every day is the only thing keeping me alive. All right. What's next? Oh, not that. <laughs> <laughs> From Ian A. Barth. Have you watched the cutscene movie for Jedi Survivor yet? It's, it, it is very comfortably now my favorite Star Wars game ever. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. I did. Oh. And, and I liked it. Um, I did not think it was as good as a Jedi Fallen Order's story. Oh. Um, again, I, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Not as good as... And I, I remember, I'm talking about the cutscene movie version of it. I watched, I think, like a five-hour version. Um, and I enjoyed it. Not gameplay. I'm not talking about gameplay. Like I said, I enjoyed it. It was solid. But I just thought Fallen Order was a... <coughs> I don't like using the word, but I'll use it here, was a little more epic. Okay. Like that first one was just a little bit more epic to me. I need to probably just watch the cutscenes because I was playing through it and then we got Tears of the Kingdom. And uh, and so my PS5 is occupied right now and I don't think I'm going to get it back for a while. I remember it was about three years ago, maybe four or five years ago. I just really got into watching these six, eight, 12 hour cutscene movies of games and really enjoying them. So that's how They're I amazing. experienced a couple of it, them. It's what I tell my voiceover students all the time because people freak out of, you know, I'm not a gamer. I don't know how I'm going to audition for these things because I don't play them. Awesome. That's totally watch fine. Cutscene movies. Go yeah. watch these cutscene movies. And once they do, it's, oh my gosh, these are so good. The acting's so intense. The story is so amazing. Yeah. That's why people play these and buy <laughs> these games. All right. What's next? From a min, John, you're now on Disney Plus. Yes, I am. Apparently, Marvel has now gotten the rights back to Hulk, so the Incredible Hulk is now on the platform. What does this say about a possible Hulk solo film in the near future? Oh, nothing. It, 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 it's it's nothing at all. It's this is its own individual project with its own uh, isolated licensing agreement, so it doesn't really speak anything to that. I think I was on Disney Plus already, though, because 
Um, in the there's like a half hour documentary behind the scenes thing of um, what was the name of it again? Uh, the Last Jedi of Star Wars: Last Jedi, and I'm like right in the opening of that documentary. So I think I was already on Disney Plus, but now I'm definitely on Disney Plus with my Hulk movie with my co-star Ed Norton Jr. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to be on Disney Plus in that movie now. All right, what's next? From Esteban Reyes, what's a good solution to fighting Rotten Tomatoes scores which can deter people from watching a movie? I hate to see scores, but people do judge movies off that. Love your work. Best podcast to grade first grade grade work, too. Aw. What is the solution to Rotten Tomatoes scores that can deter people? The, The Rotten Tomatoes scores is the solution. Like a Rotten Tomato score, remember a Rotten Tomato score isn't even a score. It's not a grade. A Rotten Tomato score is simply a number that is a statistic, right? Rotten Tomatoes numbers should not be looked at. We shouldn't even (laughs) use the word score. And we shouldn't use the word, we definitely shouldn't use the word grade because it's not. Rotten Tomatoes gives you a statistic. And the statistic is what percentage of critics like the movie. That's it. It's not giving it a grade. It's not giving a movie an evaluation. It is simply telling you a statistic. Here, out of all the hundreds of film critics, this percentage of them like it, this percentage of them don't. And I think stuff like that is anything that gives consumers a tool to be more well-informed, to do to make well-informed decisions about what they want to invest their time and money in. It is just another tool in what should be multiple tools that people use to help inform their decisions. Seeing a movie that only 3% of critics like does not automatically mean you won't, but it should suggest to you that, oh, there's probably a decent chance that I won't if like 97% of the critics saw it didn't even like it. I mean, I might, but I might not. Seeing a movie that has a 98% does not automatically mean you will like a movie, but it might give you an indication that there's probably a better chance you'll like the movie if, like, out of all the diverse, widespread film critics out there who like totally different things from each other, and 98% of them agree that they like the movie, well, then that probably increases the chances that you may like it too. How much you'll like it, who knows? So... I don't think Rotten Tomatoes statistics are a problem at all. I think they're just another tool out there to help inform consumers. And I think that's, I always think that's a good thing. All right, what's next? From Reese Jones. Hi, John. Are you planning to see the new Jennifer Lawrence comedy, No Hard Feelings, next week? 100%. I was shocked how much I liked the trailers to that movie. That movie looks hilarious. And if, if I just read on a piece of paper, guy accidentally punches Jennifer in the throat, I would have thought, well, that's land. Then you watch it in the trail. I'm like, that's funny. I mean, listen, Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> is an Academy Award winning actress, a multiple Academy Award nominee actress doing a movie like this. That's weird. But I'll tell you the stuff they've shown us for this, I think looks really funny. And so I don't know if it will be great or not, but I am very excited to watch this movie. All right, what's next? From Matija. Hey, John, just saw The Flash, and God, CGI is so bad. Story was okay, but man, pretty mediocre movie. I don't know what movie you watched, but I sadly did not like it. Kind of happy DCEU is ending, but to end with such a meh movie is sad. I did love Keaton and Affleck, and Kara was great. All their stuff I wasn't happy with. And now that Andy is directing, I don't know if I'm happy with that. Love all of you. All, love all you do, and bring on the filthy. Again, this is the beauty of the subjectivity of film. Just because mm-hmm. I liked it doesn't mean you it, but I stand by it. I still, I will tell anybody and everybody this movie's fantastic. And I got what they mean by the artistic decision about, like, I, I talked at length about the visual effects in the movie. I think a lot of the visual effects are great. There is. Without spoiling anything, it's a flash thing to say. So to tell you that there is some of the movie is spent kind of inside the speed force. That's not a big spoiler. Yeah, it's the whole thing about Flashpoint. They <laughs> clearly made a visual style choice about what things look like inside the speed force. And I will say that for the vast majority, of all the visual effects in the movie that take place in the real world, the quote unquote real world, I thought all were perfectly good and looked really great. Um, not going to win the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects or anything, but I thought it all looked very solid. And then you get all the stuff that's inside the Speed Force and where they made like a, a visual choice about 
what that would appear like or look like or feel like inside of there. And I think a lot of people, and I understand why, I think they go into thinking, well, this is just supposed to be regular VFX and just look like everything else too. And it clearly doesn't. But again, I do think that was a stylized choice. I almost feel like they should have made it look even less normal. Yes. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Because th- there's a there's a Looney Tunes kind of moment mm-hmm. with a stretch right. that I was like, that's rad. I'm here for this. And I think if they really leaned in and made it even more absurdist looking, then I would have been there for it. Because it would have felt like a choice as opposed, as opposed to how I viewed it, which was unfinished. Right. So you had like realism, which is the goal of most visual effects, Mm -hmm. realism that you had in most of the movie. Then they go on the Speed Force and they decided, we're going to bring that down, the realism down a little bit so there's a stylized aspect to it. And what I'm saying here is that, and and what Chris and I are saying is that it probably would have been a good choice to bring it down even more to make it like definitive. This is a, this is all supposed to look different in here, but they didn't back it off enough. Yeah. And so I think it left a lot of people thinking this is supposed to look real when it wasn't supposed to look real, but it looked real enough that it looked like that's what they were trying to do. And it looked mm. like they were failing at it. Yeah. So I it would have been a stronger choice, I think, to just yeah, lean but I love this movie. I can't wait to watch it again, personally. Uh, all right. What's next? From the movie dimension, Evil Dead Rise releases on Ma- uh, Max on June 23rd. Yeah. One week away. Can't wait to watch this again. I'm I'm actually looking forward to watching it at home. I didn't love the film as much as a lot of people did, but I thought it was solid. And this is one of those films where it was created <laughs> to be dumped on streaming and the studio said, "Nah, this movie's too good. We're going to we're going to give it a theatrical run." And it made a bunch of money, at least 20 or Can you look up the box yeah. office for Evil Dead Rise? It, like I know it made over $20 million, I believe, which is $20 million more million in their pocket than they would have had. And now that it's coming to Max, more people are going to watch it on Max because it had a theatrical release. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to watching 146 it. 146 worldwide. How much? 146. 146? Worldwide. Oh, well, God, that's way more than I thought it was going to be. Okay. I mean, yeah. So that's hundred almost $150 million more million in their pockets than they thought they were going to have. Yeah, so yeah. good on them. All right. What's next? From D-Train, the Flash was good, not great. Would have liked to see more of Keaton's Bruce Wayne and more backstory for Supergirl. Mm -hmm. I disagree. I think, listen, the movie was a Flash movie. Flash is your central character. The other characters are auxiliary characters. And I think, I didn't think we need, this wasn't Flash and Supergirl the movie. This was Flash. And so I think if you had spent any more time with Supergirl, who, by the way, I thought Supergirl was awesome in this movie. And I think they used her perfectly. I, I don't think they should have had more of her. I don't think they should have had less. Again, Michael Keaton's Batman, unless you're going to call the movie, what, what, what do we Batman call Batman Flashpoint. Batman Flashpoint, which is the direction they could have gone. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to call the movie Batman Flashpoint, I think they used just the right amount of Michael Keaton in it as well. So that's just kind of how I took it. It did make me want more Sasha Kaye. I agree. Of, of, oh, I hope we see more of her. But isn't that a great example that they did use her perfectly? The fact that they leave you coming out there saying, I want to see more of that. I mean, leave them wanting more. Exactly. All right, time for two more. What's next? From Max Finkel. Would love to consider for a moment Val Kilmer's Batman seems to um, seems to have been forgotten when everyone else is getting retrospective love. What are your memories of uh, Kilmer's, Kilmer's yeah. portrayal, positive or negative? You know, it's funny. I did open mic last night, a late version of open mic. And somebody asked me, it was, it was somebody else asked me, hey, so what do you think about Val Kilmer's Batman? I love Val Kilmer. I love him. I, I never thought he was the right choice, the right fit for Batman. Uh, I loved his kind of, I, I did like his iteration of Bruce Wayne, full benefits. I like, I liked his Bruce Wayne per se, but it, I don't know. It just was never a fit for me, him playing Batman. I loved watching him in everything else he did, but it, it just wasn't the right fit for me. So yeah, so it's not, that's why, not because he did a bad job, it just wasn't fit. So you hear people talking Michael Keaton or Christian Bale, obviously Ben Affleck and whatever. But yeah, I don't really think of Val's iteration when I think about uh, the Batman. All right, last question today. All right, from Christopher Baker. When a movie comes out, sometimes an actor doesn't acknowledge it. Hypnotic with Ben Affleck is an example. Is it because it's not in their contract that they have to promote? It's probably more to do with what does the studio arrange? I mean, if the, if the studio, look, almost every actor, 
when you sign up for a movie, you've got to do the press tour. But then it's up to the distributor to set up a press tour. And the distributor may think, you know what? We need to let this movie just quietly come and go. We've seen that happen several times where a studio is just like, you know what? The movie's the movie. Um, <laughs> let's We're just going to let it quietly go in and quietly go away. Every now and then you quietly hear it at CinemaCon. Yeah, like, just, yeah, you, you don't have to stay for this. Yeah, like, for instance, <laughs> so there wasn't any big, huge hypnotic press day in Hollywood where everybody but Ben Affleck showed up, right? Yeah. It was a matter of they were just kind of quiet on it and kind of let it come and go. Speaking of coming and going, guys, that'll do it for today's episode of the John Campion Show podcast. Thank, why are you giggling? There was nothing remotely dirty about that. It's mostly Ray going, oh, no. Yeah, I don't <laughs> understand <laughs> That'll do it for today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our channel members for sending in questions. Number one, because you gave us fun things to talk about. But number two, by being channel members on our YouTube channel, you actually support us. And we thank you guys so much for that support. Don't forget, we have our live stream open mic show that we do every day here on the channel coming at 3.30 p.m. Los Angeles time. Make sure you guys come back and join us for that. So... For Ray Ora, <laughs> Jonathan Voico, and Chris Carr. Bye. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.